because it becomes more about letting other people, other people do things and let other people do the things that you may have enjoyed before. And then now, because now you enjoy managing a team and, and leading people. Welcome everyone to WorkPod. Today we have with us uh, Federico Demarin. Uh, he is uh, an HR executive uh, with uh, 360 Duty Free. And um, basically this is part of our, our series in which we invite HR leaders to talk about their perspective on what they are seeing on the future of work. And Federico has graciously agreed to be to be a guest on the show. So Federico, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Awesome. So walk us through your journey. Like what talk talk to us about your background and what brought you to to this day? Absolutely. So I joined I started in HR about 20 years ago. Um, 22 exactly. Uh, I worked in marketing before and the reason why I joined uh, HR was the fact that I had the chance to interact with all the different areas of a company and I was passionate about the corporate corporate environment back then. Uh, that was in Reuters, the news agency. It's a company specializing in financial market information, but also general news, as you probably have seen in newspapers or, or TV. Uh, I worked for South America first, uh, being a business partner for the region, which gave me a lot of exposure to different cultures and ways of, ways of working. I moved to Europe, to Switzerland, with the same company, um, then moved back to Argentina uh, and started to change countries, got involved with Mexico as well as part of Latin America. And after 10 years, I moved to a completely different company. It's a Swarovski, it's a jewelry company, uh, Austrian jewelry comp company, privately owned compared to Reuters that was publicly traded. So very different, 120 years old company. Uh, with Central European culture, retail, and my my job was to start HR for the company in Latin America, uh, as the, at the same time as corporate human resources was being built. So it was very interesting to understand how a retail company operates and how it grew in Latin America, open up new offices and stores. After about eight years, I no. Seven years, I moved to the U.S. Uh, as part of the same company and managing the same region. But uh, soon after, I, I got North America as well as Latin America, so Canada and the U.S. Mm. Uh, very different market with very different challenges. Um, in those, after those few years, I moved to a different role because my I wanted to have the global scope in Asia was something that hadn't been part of my scope. And being in a US-based uh, travel retail company that have operations worldwide was exactly the challenge I was looking for. So they approached me and I accepted and now I am the global head of HR. Uh, as you were saying, it's a duty-free company, which means uh, it has stores in airports, duty-free and duty-paid, and some branded stores as well. And we manage the duty-free programs for airlines. So when you jump into an airline and you see those catalogs or, or the e-commerce page, it's not the actual airline that manages the page. It could be a company like us uh, that we do all the sourcing, the catalogs, the images, and the sell. So that's basically what the company does. And it has presence in Europe, Asia, Middle East, North America, and Latin America. I think that's fascinating. So, um, one thing that I, I found really interesting about um, about having you on the show is you are one of one such you are representing one such industry that's most impacted by this this sort of this other side this uh, current pandemic and the current ecosystem. And I definitely want your perspective on how to steer a company when when the influencing factors are totally outside, but you are totally dependent on the outside variables. To pretty much help you run your business, so walk us through some of the struggles that you, as a business, face, and some of the some of the things. If you can, if you can walk us through that. Well, I think you know companies have gotten used to uncertainty, and they've they've slowly incorporated in the last fifteen years. I would say 
it started to do flexible planning. Uh, with the pandemic, that got into a, a very, very accelerated level. So many companies that were more traditional than doing their budgets and everything was premeditated and structured, they were faced, they, they had to face this scenario where they couldn't, they couldn't hold those rigid plans. So I think flexibility is the key. Understand that you cannot control what you cannot control. You have to communicate very smartly inside a company, executives being connected, understanding what is it that we can do in the next three months, six months, nine months, uh, being, being informed about everything that is going on. And I think then you need to choose your strategy. Some companies mm. chosen to do small changes and adjust, not understanding uh, if the changes at the beginning were going to stay for three, six, nine, or two years. Um, and some others took drastical steps to adjust, knowing, and this is what we did in, in at 360, is to understand that even though the pandemic would, could take up to a year, the recovery of the industry would take longer. So it, was, it, it would make more sense to do drastic changes from the beginning and be adjusted to, to deal with the whole period in a healthy way. And by that, I mean maintaining, covering the costs and 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 the, the, the operation. So I think coming back to your question, steering is about remaining flexible and agile to move as things develop. That was the only way. Interesting. So uh, let's, let's talk about some of the initial days. So this thing has hit and, and obviously there was a not very clear goal in sight and you're running an, you're running an HR organization, like uh, HR for an organization that is that is that is in the center of could be in the center of hems when things things crop out so walk us few steps that 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 you did or few sort of first x or first three or four steps that that you did as a, as a hr leader to prepare your organization for something when which you you have very limited visibility on sure uh, at the beginning obviously it was all about protecting people um, and we did not have a solid um, emergency protocol. And so we moved very quickly to make sure that we have the IT infrastructure to move people out of the office, uh, make sure that what, what processes were essentially linked to the office so they couldn't be done remotely. And how could we minimize the impact on, on people for that? And working with a lot of organizations, side organizations, and to, to understand what all the companies were doing. So you can kind of monitor what's going on and try to adjust the legal framework that was being developed at the same time in terms of how to deal with employees being sick. So there was a lot of understanding how to manage the crisis and how to move the people to a remote, 100% remote environment. Uh, that was the first step. That involved a lot of communication and managers. And you know, I, and I, I have to be honest. Up to that point, our company was not very keen on remote work. Hmm. We were not. Our, the owners of the company and the executives were not sure that people would be as as efficient and effective as they were in the office. Um, so it was not. It was not something common. So it was a drastic change to go from mm. that mentality to a 100% remote work for most of the employees. Yet, we moved, we, we informed people, we gave tools to understand how to manage their, their uh, home office. And uh, it was a great learning because quickly we knew that, you know, as long as people are accountable and responsible, you will not lose efficiency and effectiveness. Um, the second point was, okay, now we, that's the employees. On the business side is understanding, being in touch with the airports, being in touch with the airlines and understand what, what things were here to stay for a certain period of time and, and then see our options. or so how can we mitigate our costs everywhere, especially rent costs or, um, and things you pay to airlines just to minimize the cost impact while the revenue was being pretty much zero. Hmm. Um, 
So that in also involved a lot of interaction with HR, with the business and operations to understand what are where our options in every different country. So for me, it was you know getting familiar with legislation, not only the the standard legislation, but also the, the legal practices that were happening with the pandemic on each country, like rules for furloughing furloughing employees, terminating contracts. Uh, trying to get assistance from government, so it was a lot of research and getting in touch with with the lawyers and the government institutions. So it was it was intense and time consuming for HR. In, wow, um, fascinating! And, and thank you for walking us through that. So now, if if you look at the industry in general, so if if you look at your peers in in basically in the similar industry. What are some of the things that, that stood out that, that you think, okay, some things, as, as I think you also pointed out that you're not very keen on the remote work aspect of things because of the nature of your business, right? Mm-hmm. So it's understood. So what are some of the other things that sort of you noticed in the industry, good or bad, as you are sort of preparing through this, this sort of radical shift in, in, in the strategy of, of running your business? Um. It's it's hard to say that there was a, a general approach because I think this was like setting a, a foot on a in, in an ant nest. You know, everybody was trying to figure it out on his own first, then trying to talk to different people. So there wasn't there wasn't a, a generic approach to this. Uh, what I can tell you for sure is that everyone immediately shifted to look into their costs structures and understand. Mm. Okay. All those things that we thought we may eventually change, now we have to change. So this is a more a survival decision. On the other side, I think there were so in, some important decisions to be made, uh, especially in the U.S., where the legal framework allows you to do many things that in other countries you, you wouldn't or you couldn't, and make a decision standing for our, our mission and vision. For example, when we had to terminate employees or furloughing employees in we decided to maintain their their health benefits that represented a material cost for us but we thought you know it, we have to reduce costs otherwise we would not survive but yet let's not leave people without a health insurance as they go through this situation because even though we could we could do it legally there was no issue in the US we decided not to so i think that was something that most of our employees recognized immediately and said, wow, this is great. I I know a lot of people that have lost everything from their employees, employers, sorry, including all the benefits. Um, So I think that was, that was something that we did that was special. And um, the rest, I think everybody went through the same thing, cutting costs, mitigating impact from the business and trying to figure out ways of, of, um, getting aid from the government I, I i think that was the general approach for for the industry interesting because i i was reading about um I, you brought up an interesting point about insurance and and the employees have the health insurance so i was reading about wimbledon so wimbledon has been buying pandemic insurance for the last 60 years right and they were always there was there was a lot of questions on why why are you buying it why are you renewing it again and again there's nothing is happening this year everything paid off for them so it's it's something that you would never see foresee happening, but suddenly when you're in the middle of it, you have at least some cushion uh, there on. And I think you also brought up an interesting point on uh, on regulation. Uh, we were talking about government's impact and how it's. So what are some of the some of the things that stood out in your dealing with with the government and programs that governments needs to do to sort of smoothen the the roadmap for a, a company that is impacted through this? Like, do do you have any perspective on that? Some of the things government had to do, you mean? Yeah. Sure. I mean, I think most of the governments went through the same direction, trying to support companies to make sure the unemployment was some somehow contained, uh, that they could remain open, um, also be flexible to show them that they can adjust certain costs without a heavy penalty. I think they also helped people with the unemployment and you know putting millions of dollars 
into the un- unemployment fund so everybody that lost the jobs they could have some sort of income that could help them stay afloat there was a lot of uh intervention with um uh, with the mortgage industry so people would not have their houses they, they would not lose their houses in foreclosures um so i think government showed even in countries that are very liberal and and with capitalism they show that governments when it's needed they they can intervene and help the private sector and they flew billions of dollars or, or trillions of dollars actually uh, just to support through this crisis so i think those governments that did that were really thinking this is the best we can do now in order to prevent a much heavier crisis and uh, most of the governments went through that um, process, obviously with different different uh, funds. Not not all the countries are just, uh, have the same availability of funds to help to support their their markets. Uh, but that was the general approach, and I think it was the the right thing to do. Okay, I think um, well said. So uh, over the, over that year, were there so. Have you ever get a, got a chance to look back and see if you would have done something differently? Like if what were there sort of some learning for you that okay this is how I could have handled it better or worse or whatever? Like so, uh, did you get a chance to reminiscence on on that? I, I wonder. You're talking about myself and my decisions yes. or the government? Yourself um, as a leader. Um. I think particularly we I think I'm very, very proud of the way things were handled. I mm. didn't see any major setback because we we put employee safety first um and that was the first thing we took care of and I think that kind of triggered everything that happened after. Uh we did not we did not lose uh, people through the the crisis or resignations. Partially because the market was restricted, mm. but also people mm. were very thankful that we put their safety first and we evacuated the office, even though we were not ready, um, but help them work remotely, give them flexibility. As they were sick, another thing that we did that was uncommon for the U.S. is that you know, hourly employees in the U.S., if you get sick, you have to use sick leave, which in, in our case, it's, it's PTO or, or um, personal time off. So you will consume those days. What we discussed is that if you, if you feel sick and you get a positive test for COVID, we will give you the days and we will not discount it from your PTO. So that was a way to maintain people's vacation time um, and also encourage people to report if they were sick and get tested with COVID, so we would prevent any kind of internal spread. So I think that was also received very positively because it was a, it was a way to mm. show that you know we were putting that as a priority. Uh, and so uh, there wasn't there wasn't anything major that I would say yeah we should have done that differently. I I would say that I wish I would we would have more time and not mm. waited for a pandemic. Mm. To really understand how to work remotely, but you know, there wasn't there wasn't anything I could have have changed before because uh, it was a mentality and a way of working that get, was forced to change, and um, and I think the pandemic was really positive in that sense because it showed that people are can be trusted if you give them the chance. Mm. I think that, that that's that's well put because um, I was talking to someone yesterday, uh, one of the leader at one of the insurance company. And and he was telling me that um, it was it was so gimmicky that we can whenever I should I used to talk about conference or someone used to talk to me about virtual conference, we never used to believe, but now we have fascinating connections on virtual, and we are all get used to it. And then we realize none of the productivity is getting impacted, which I used to think that it it does. So it's definitely a wake up call for many leaders that we can do a lot more done and lot more sort of. Uh, and and I think I was talking to you the, the last time as well. And one thing that that was very fascinating about conversation with you is how you are involved with many organizations, sort of helping many students and many and, and like universities teaching kids 
um so about this this idea of um, how to use the the current tool and sort of make it make it useful in in the current ecosystem so uh, mm-hmm. let's let's talk about some of your your personal trait uh, if if i may or 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 trait of a a leader as they are going through this shift of change or transformation whether it's pandemic whether it's technology transformation whether it's disruption by, by a peer in the industry as an hr leader what are some of the qualities that you think has helped you um, over the last one year uh, to 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 hopefully do the right things and 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 taking companies in the right direction i think one key quality that i always highlight when you get to be an hr leader is that you cannot you cannot just know about hr i think if i would have been that kind of of hr leader i wouldn't have understood how the business worked and all the different impact that everything you have to do will have on the business so in order to become a good hr leader you really need to know the business you really you need to understand how it works from its fundamentals understand the budget the pnl the forecasts all the financial aspects of the business as well as the operational aspects of the business and why some things are in the way they are and operate in the way they are because otherwise as an hr you can always say oh let's just put people first and then you start proposing a lot of things that may not make sense to the operation or may actually collapse it mm-hmm. so i think one key element for a situation to face a situation like this as an hr leader is to really know your business mm. and i always say people in my team when when we talk about development is you know they're passionate about hr and they they love to learn more about hr but i push them to know more about marketing merchandising supply chain because those things may not be as interesting as as their passion of course but if they don't get to know those things they will never be as as effective as they could be as an hr leader and i would say the same for any other function and it's not just hr but hr is involved in changes in all functions so that's why i think it's critical to understand that everything you do with people would impact the business one way or another so if you don't know how or or what is the language of that business you you could just be disruptive to the business or disregarded by the business because you you just speak a different language um i think another another point that is important is to really understand that hard decisions needs to be made and sometimes stalling those decisions creates no good and by that i mean in situations like this when it's about survival you know you're going to have to let people go and that's always a bad bad news for hr and for the company um and sometimes you stall and you stall and just wait and think and see how things develop but then you get to a point that is so critical that instead of terminating a certain number you have to go further because now you're choked uh i think having as a leader having the courage to make hard decisions quickly uh is a is a very important trait HR does not make those decisions but you are involved in the decision making progress process talking to the chairman uh, and the owner of the company in my case as well as to the other managers and say guys we cannot look the other way mm. we have to we have to understand that at the end we are protecting the people that will stay and because you could easily go bankrupt and everybody will lose their job uh third i think leaders need show the way. You now we were talking cutting costs mm-hmm. and, and obviously the executives of a company are the ones that make more money. Mm-hmm. So we have to not only have to terminate people, we have to go through uh, salary reductions, which mm-hmm. is very very difficult. Mm-hmm. But we decided the executives will bear the highest reduction. Mm-hmm. We went to a 50% and the lower income position, so we draw we drew a line and those positions below that line will not get any discount mm. so i think that way you're showing mm. hey we know it's a tough time we're asking you for a sacrifice mm. just bear with us and stay with us but we show that we're willing to do the sacrifice ourselves as executives and the biggest chunk 
Wow, I think that's that's, that's fascinating. And um, actually, so you brought up an interesting point. So um, HR leaders knowing business well, it's 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 a it's a very good start, right? So and and um, whenever when you were saying that, I was thinking about uh, Nasim Talib's book, um, Anti Fragile. So so he was he's, he's he's talking about hey, you know what the opposite of fragile is not. Uh, basically something that's stern but actually anti-fragile it, it gets stronger as you you shake things right so you talked about um, saving business through transformation understanding business so you can save uh, it from 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 losing its 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 shine now let's let's spend few minutes on strengthening the business as you're going through that like how do you mm-hmm. grow how do you grow your workforce as you're going through that, like, do you have some insights to share on that? Uh, yeah, I think this crisis helped us understand that uh, we have much more flexibility in terms of workforce that we thought we had. Just, just to be very concise, before then you'd say, you know, I need everybody in Miami. I need them working, you know, in the office nine to five, very traditional. Um, now we know that we, we can deal with remote work and that opens up not only time, but also borders. Mm. So I think in order to prepare the company for the future, you, now you, you can really plan and something I've been working with the company is to say, how do we organize ourselves for the future? Now, if mm. we start to grow and when we start to grow, where, where do we start scaling up our, mm. our assets and, and our talent? Um, and I, I think you need to you need to be very open in terms of pros and cons of every decision, because this is just like an experiment. You know, we've never seen this firsthand in a corporate world that we have a pandemic. And now you can easily say, before the pandemic, we'd said, "Yeah, remote work." Some companies say it does. Some companies say it, it doesn't. Now we say, "Hey, it worked. Hmm. Why don't we move to this hundred percent?" Yeah, but it's an experiment that doesn't consider time, right? Some things may work for a certain time and may start falling apart after that time. So you don't know for sure how, how people will behave and how the productivity will behave after two years, three years, or five years of remote work. Some people have a very comfortable uh, home office. Some others have a very challenging one. Uh, so. I think it's, it's, it's difficult to assume that because something has worked in a, in a short period of time still, they will work in the long time. Um, the main conclusion that I've got is that for sure, we can make better use of office time. So you don't need people to sit in an office for so long. Uh, I think you can just manage meetings, face-to-face meetings, in a very efficient and effective way, when we really need to brainstorm, that we really need to make a connection. Many other meetings that are just updates, passing on information, they don't need to be face-to-face. And a lot of the time that people spend in the office may have been unproductive because now they're home. And we know that when people are, they are at home, they might be interacting with their families. They may have bigger breaks or different breaks than what they had in the office. So it's not like they're working 24-7. They also pick up calls very early in the morning or late at night. Um, But overall, we know that if they are as efficient and effective as they were before in the office, that meant that there was a lot of office time that was being unproductive. And the answer is not turning into productive because that could cause burnout. So I think the answer is, you know, we can be more flexible and allow some people to be in the office. Uh, we can require them to be in the office when it's really necessary and use that time to really get the best out of people. And by that, I mean creativity, innovation, uh, resolving very complex processes when we need people to, to really react in a, in a way that might be more difficult through a camera. I think that's that's a fair point, and and I think you brought up an interesting point on uh, uh, basically helping workers through the through this time. And and I I wonder, um, did you get a chance to think about 
Um, so we are living in the age of disruption. We're living in the age of transformation. We're living in the age of tech where every major technology is being tested and tried and a lot of interesting business model are, are, are emerging for, for a lot of, uh, in almost every ecosystem we, we, we get our hands on. And any HR leader we, we spoke with, they asked all, like almost everyone shared their struggle with updating their workforce, with improve, managing, basically preparing their workforce for what's next, what's ahead, and saving them from getting obsolete. Can you walk us through some of your struggles or some of your challenges or some of your opportunities of how you are handling this idea of preparing your work for the future of work or preparing your workforce to handle what's ahead using the best possible tools and techniques that are out there today, available to them? Yes, I think obviously, as you were saying, technology evolves and in the last few years, you've seen a, an explosion of of, uh, of many technologies. And I, as an HR leader, I see a lot of sales speeches coming in my direction about different technologies to aid recruitment and to make it more automated, um, as well as how to manage HR processes. The, dif the difficulty is to really have this, the best fit for your type of company and for your needs and understand that not everything will work in the mm -hmm. same, uh, you know, in, in, in different companies. Uh, technologies in communication, I think they're key. I would put my investment into that. Just to, as a company, I mean, understanding that you need to make communication as efficient, as effective as you can. If you're not there yet, you're definitely very late. Mm. Uh, I think companies should always keep an eye on how things are changing in the communication arena, how to create these ecosystems and these environments where employees can interact with each other and kind of have a community that is not necessarily face-to-face -face in the office. Um, from the HR side, I think it's, it's also about how to maintain a culture and, and a cohesive company when people are interacting from home. Um, how do you maintain engagement and the, the different programs and technologies that you can use for that? But it's, it's also about switching your mentality, understanding that you know, engagement is not, is not in the office anymore because you may not have 100% of your people in your office anymore. Mm. So how do you switch to a, an environment where you may have 30, 40, 50% of your people working at home any given day, uh, but still they need to be part of the same culture than the ones that are going to the office. So switching engagement programs, wellness programs, everything towards this new environment, I think is key for HR. Uh, in terms of technology, everything that helps saving time, uh, so you can really use that time for complex issues and strategy uh, is always good. I mean, in, in, um, in HR, all the uh, human capital software, as well as you know, all cloud-based technology, um, artificial intelligence for, for recruitment, so there are a lot of technologies that can help you, especially when you deal with volume. That could save you a lot of time. Um, there's still a lot of, I think there's there's a lot of research missing in terms of how efficient and effective that is. I've seen different results. Um, technologies in sourcing uh, have shown that the results are excellent, but on, on different uh, research, they show that are exactly the same as the, the tools we had before. Mm. So... I think we really need to understand if these technologies are, are producing an actual uh, jump in productivity or they're just another way to do things, which is also valid, you know, because right. it opens up, open up different alternatives from, for different companies. Interesting. And um, there has been saying about um, an organization is as good as its, uh, its leaders or um, their leaders. So if, if, if you wear that hat, um, how do you think organization leaders, the HR leaders, can keep themselves, or how do you keep yourself at the at the front, uh, basically at the bleeding edge of the evolution of what works, what is not working, and, and all? Like how do how do you find your um, your basically your future of work 
mentality or a mindset? Well, I think you, as a leader, you should never lose that that sensation that you are behind the curve. I think that's something that I felt through my life because it pushes you to learn and to stay awake. The worst thing that could happen is that you feel that you you've reached that point mm. where you know everything and now you're the big boss and now you have nothing else to learn. It's all about teaching. That would be the biggest mistake of an executive. Um, so if you really, I, I, I like uh, an analogy with cars. You know, I, I remember in, in, a, in, a, in a conference, one guy asked the audience, which one is the car that goes to the, to the shop the most? Hmm. And everybody says the old one, the, the broken one. And the, it's, the guy said, no, it's the F1, you know, the one that wants to stay first. That's the one that spends more time in the shop hmm. because there, there's always improvement and there's always research. So I think if you want to be a good leader and stay as a good leader, you need to think like an F1, that you hmm. always need to learn more and there's always going to come something new that you don't know and you need to embrace it with curiosity. Not to prove that it's wrong or, or to prove that what you have or what you know, it's better. I think the moment you, you think that way, you're obsolete. So curiosity, I, it's key to really stay as a good leader for the future. Well said. And, and if, if you look at your peers around, um, who are also leading their organization in their HR space, what are some of the some of the common um, issues you see? What are some of the th some of the opportunities you see at a HR leadership level that needs to be fixed as as a community of maybe leaders can come together and solve that? If you can walk us through some of those struggles. Um, well, there are all kinds of people out there, of course. Uh, I think uh, HR could be a function that could easily become. A, a pure compliance and regulations function where you all, all mm. you do is to produce processes and frameworks and policies and you shovel to people so they know what to do. Uh, I think that would be a big mistake for HR. I think, as I said at the beginning, you need to be a business leader and you need to have a very well-developed common sense, which could sometimes help you understand, you know what, this policy that we did it has a fault, you know, we should really understand and maybe it's, it, it requires a decision for a change or an exception. So you need to remain agile and not very rigid. And some HR managers are very comfortable in those frameworks hmm. and they don't challenge those frameworks enough. Um, that's one thing. The other thing is it goes hand by hand with what I said before. There are many HR leaders who did not care much about learning about the business. And sometimes uh, you talk to those, uh, I talk to some of my colleagues and I ask them, you know, I have this problem in supply chain. The guys that are sourcing products when they place orders in the system and it's like I'm talking Chinese and they say, mm. like, I, I don't know what you're saying. You know, that's not in my function. And I said, how do you help? the supply chain leader design their organization if you don't know how the, the processes work because organizational design is part of, of HR, right? But how do you help a function to organize if you don't really understand how it works? So I think as an HR leader, you have to have this consulting mentality. Mm. Before you start talking about something, you really need to know what you're talking about. Uh, and that involves all the different functions. And third, I think, every HR leader should have a very solid coaching base. Uh, coaching is always harder and time consuming, more time consuming than telling people. Uh, so when a manager, a leader, you have to help them go through their issues and their people issues and their planning. In instead of being the only source of the truth and having all the knowledge yourself, you really need to push them you know, with good questions to have their own answers up to a point that they may say, look, I just want an answer. You know, if, if I wanted to do it myself, I would have had come. And I said, yeah, <laughs> I understand that. I know the answer. But if I give it to you, you always come to me. 
you know, and the idea is that you don't depend on me. Uh, and I say the same thing to my team. You know, it's, it's always harder because it may take you 10 questions versus one answer. Uh, but I think you, if you have that coaching mentality, you will know that in the long mm. run, uh, it's the best way because it's, it's a game that doesn't have an end result. It's a game that you just need to learn to play. And that is what it means to lead. You never be the best leader. There's mm. not such a thing. No, I think it, it's it's fascinating to hear, um, and and you, you're right. You're right in saying that we spoke to many HR leaders, and rarely we we talk to them. They talk about knowing the business, right? So they know they how the HR function works. They know what the HR issues are, how to solve the HR problems. But you're spot on when it comes to it's not a it's it's a very remote. It's not a very known thought to actually know the bells and whistles of running a business. To, to get the organizations to work. I think that's that's very refreshing to know. And I think um, mm-hmm. I, I, I want your perspective on something you mentioned briefly. So you said your organization is not prepared for remote work and remote work is is now is, is the option to, to operate. So that's a very extreme case, right? So it's a very extreme case where the culture is different and then you are, we are, the, the organization is, is pushed to change. But many cases, in, in many cases, so you are you are having you are having a progressive mindset and you are working with a, with a company with with a very strong culture of something, right? So now, if you can, if you if there is a listener and viewer who are going to be um, HR leader and they are struggling to to get the to get progressive ideas and agenda into the into the into the companies, what are some of the some of what what suggestions do you have for them? What are some of the things that you could suggest to to those leaders who how to how to how to prepare the organizations uh, for progressive agendas? Well, obviously, that, that is a very complex challenge because it depends on what kind of people we're talking about. I think you may have a strategy, the right strategy, to to really push for change and innovation. Uh, but if you don't have the right audience, it may never work. So obviously, you cannot change the audience. You can help them. You can facilitate the understanding. So in, in that way, for example, if you're trying to push for a change that would drive um, innovation, I think as an HR person, but also in any other function, you need to understand some basic influencing techniques. So first, what is the value equation? Right? If I'm talking to the CFO, it might be very different to the supply chain guy or the CIO or the COO, they do have different value equations. So if I want to have them on board with my idea, how would I approach them differently? If I, if I go to a presentation to the whole group together, it will be harder at the beginning because they have different mentalities, different agendas. They work for the same companies, but they may have different cultures of working in their own department. So it becomes very difficult to influence people at the beginning when you tackle them all together. You think it, that could be the shortcut, but it's not. That's the shortcut to failure, that's for sure. So you really need to know which people can really help you drive the change and get them on your side first. By that, you need to get to know those people and what are their motivations, what's their value equation. What is the CFO really trying to achieve in, in his or her agenda? And how can I, with my change, with my idea, how can I help him or her getting close to that goal? So you can generate a win-win proposal. Once you have that person, then you can move on to the next. And then you, you are starting to build some influencers that can help you tackle the final decision maker. That could be the CEO of a company. Uh, so influencing skills is key, and there are many good tools that you can help, that you can use to help yourself get your ideas through. Now, as I said at the beginning, you can do everything right, but mm. if people are really against that, against change, you know, we might be in the wrong company. And that's another important uh, understanding that as an executive, as a professional, you need to have. Eventually, you need to figure out, okay, I did my best. I tried everything I could. They're just not ready or they're not willing. 
and and that could be the end of it. Uh, but as long as you have done and tried everything that was on on your hand, you know, change and innovation is not for everyone, and we know that. You know, as human beings, we've suffered that for forever, and we'll continue suffering that. Um, and there's always going to be someone that will help you, and someone that will be against you. Well said. Well said. So um, basically, I was thinking of one conversation I had with one of the HR leaders at uh, one of the large apparel company, and and I, I asked him, "Hey, what is what is your one struggle?" And 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 he shared that one of my struggle, big struggle, is that um, my my people. So we hire them for culture, but they leave for their manager, right? So the constant struggle of this battle of the current ecosystem, if that brings toxicity in. It shoves people out, and my job is to let them know that there's there's a lot more than their particular group that they can look at besides looking totally outside. So, what's your take? Like, what what is your take on the on that thought? If if, if you can walk us through that, sure. I think companies where though where that happen is a very clear signal that their corporate culture is not that strong. Hmm. I think in where you have subcultures, and by definition, that is a, a, a manager changing the way of working to a certain level versus what the company says it really matters. If that is happening, it's because most likely at the top, there's a manager that is aware of the situation, mm. but prioritizes the result that manager is bringing versus that culture cohesiveness. So. There's always someone at the top putting short-term results versus long-term results. And it's very hard to change that because it could be all the way to the top of the company. It might be the owner or even the, the CEO, the one that is saying one thing but thinking another. So uh, as an HR leader, it's always important to stay close to the executives with a very strong common sense and say, guys, we need to really say what this company is about, right? If our mission says, ambition says all pretty things, but then inside the opposite happens, then we're not being honest to our people. And, and unfortunately that shows. When people come in and they leave and they, they leave messages in social media about what, how things really are in the company, there's a very clear signal that you know, you're not being honest. So I think, if that is happening as a leader of the company and you want to change that, you really need to go back into how you hire and reward people. Because at the mm -hmm. end, that is what really drives the culture. If those managers that are toxic in a way, whatever that could mean, of course, because there are many, many different ways, but those are the ones that get promoted. Those are the ones that get listened to. Um, and you you will never see any consequence, then that's the role model. And that is the actual mm. reigning culture of the company. Uh, if you are at the top and you want to change that, you need to address it to that person and say, you know what? I know you got to this point being this way and we appreciate it. You've been successful, but now we have a different way of doing things. And I need you to know that you're going to be on board and help that manager through the change, coaching that manager, training that manager, and monitoring results. That's the only way that you can actually change that. You know, if you continue tolerating toxic managers, then you have to manage the results. And unfortunately, mm. some companies have learned to live with that. I think that's a, that's a, and, and thank you for walking us through that. I think that's a fair point. So um, now let's, um, I, I'm curious to know your point of view on, uh, what are the traits of a good leader, HR leader? So if, if suppose you, you need to pick two or three traits that are essential must-haves in an HR leader for today's time, what, what are those traits, if you, if you, if you can, if you can uh, tell us that? Yeah, sure. Um, I think it, it, would, it would also change depending on the company you work for, of course. Uh, in terms of general traits, I would say, you need to be a good leader because you need to show by example to other executives. When you talk about leadership and develop, developing leadership skills, if you don't lead by example, 
it will be your authority will be diminished especially if you have to drive change in those areas uh second i need to i think you need to score a very difficult balance in 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 terms of having this this willingness to help people and this empathy to help people progress in their lives and to make their lives better and on the other side understanding that you're working for a company that it's a business and they need to make money um, you need to navigate those two and sometimes unfortunately companies have it as an extreme so if you're if you're not smart enough um, you may be you may be put in one of those two categories and none of those two is good for the company if you are that manager that is always you know as it said, you know, you're always with the people and you, you're all about happiness and friendship, but this is a business, then the business managers will not listen to you. On the other side, if it's all business and no people, then your function as human resources will have no credibility with the employees. So it's very difficult and it's a position that is, it always has its ups and downs because Sometimes mm -hmm. you have to make decisions when one of those two areas will suffer uh, and in having the right balance to understand what is the best decision is, is extremely hard. There's, there's no formula other than experience and, and really having a very close sensitivity to the business as well as to, to the people in your organization. And, and three, I think you need to build strong HR teams. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to, you need to hire good experts, people that are willing to learn, that are passionate about what they're doing. Um, you need to allow them to learn by making mistakes. You need to be that coach uh, that helps them make decisions on their own so they don't depend on you uh, and not try to be the center of everything. Mm. Uh, I think that goes for any leader, but in HR, HR is it's not a function that should be on the spotlight uh, of a company. I think as a leader, if you want to be that person, you may have chosen the wrong career. Uh, I think HR is just to facilitate and to enable an organization to be successful. And sometimes the one that will pick up the, you know, the trophy, it might be the CEO or the COO. Uh, it might not be you. And it, that should, it's fine because you're mm. part of the team. And I think you need to, to have this mentality of, of supporting, enabling. And by doing that, you can be on the spotlight, but it cannot be your focus. You know, If that is your goal, I don't think HR is the right choice. Interesting. And thank you for walking us through that. So now we're at the, at the tail end of the conversation. So um, before we open it up for, for guests to, to chime in. So uh, love, let's talk about your personal journey. Let's talk about um, if, if, we, if you attribute some qualities to your success and, and what you are today, what are, the, what are those qualities that, that, that has helped you become what you have become today? What would those be? I think uh, in my case, when I started uh, studying in my university, I chose business administration. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I started to work very early in my life. I was 17 years old um, because I really wanted, I knew I wanted to work in companies. I loved brands and how companies operated, but I wasn't sure about the functions. So the best way to really know was to work. And, and see how these functions operate uh, and have the reality of a function versus what you may hear in, in, in your university. Uh, some, some areas may, be, may sound very sexy, like marketing and sales, but then when you realize what they do every day, uh, it may not be for you, you know, if you don't really know what that means. You know, some people think in marketing, you're just designing brands and uh, doing events all the time. And no, you spend a lot of time doing research and working with spreadsheets and results and data um, depending on where you work. So you really need to know how those functions operate. So I think that was one key decision that I made very early on. Uh, second, I, I think the, the earlier 
you start understanding what you want from life, the easier it will be to navigate through your goals. And to me, the best example, you know, if you want to make, if you want to, if you're Christ, Christopher Columbus, you know you want to get to to India. That is your dream. That is your goal to show that you can circumnavigate the world. And then you can have many paths, but that's what you want. And then suddenly you come across something else and you say, wow, this is huge. Um, as long as you talk to yourself and understand, is this still what I want? Is this where I wanted to go and have I achieved it? How close I am? Should I change my goals? Um, that, to me, that was very significant. From, from very early on, I, I knew I wanted to travel the world and, and, um, and I knew that companies, working for an international company was the easiest way to get it. That was my main goal since I was 10 years old. After traveling, I've been in more than 45 countries and, and working in different countries around the world. At one point, I said, should I consider that my life goal was achieved? And I said, no, I love traveling, but probably I need to find something else because the motivation that that, that gives me is not as, as big as it was before. So um, having, having that renewal of goals and understanding, what is it that I want to achieve? And, and, and by doing that, I learned that I wanted to teach, for example, and I became a teacher. I do MBA uh, programs in, in many different parts of the world as a teacher. And that gave me a lot of satisfaction. I also figured out, okay, now that I'm a senior manager in, in, for Latin America, which was my region, I should try to do something else. And I got to North America. Now I'm, I'm global and I got mm. Asia, which is also fascinating. So the more you talk to yourself, the more you understand that you, you keep yourself at balance. And I think that's what keeps keep elements of my success. It's just always talk to myself and say, here's my family. Here's my professional career, my spirit, my mind. How do I keep all these things in balance and remain ambitious and curious for life? And I think anybody that is driving uh, his or her career should think this way as early as possible. Interesting. And, and thank you for walking us through that. Beautiful points, by the way. So uh, one thing I ask all of our guests to share is some of their favorite books that they have read. Because I, I am a prolific reader, I love good recommendations. So, uh, and many of our listeners and viewers, they, they love sort of these recommendations. So I wonder if you have any favorite book that you want to refer to our listener or viewer. Sure, I, I think the latest book that I found very interesting because I see a lot of, I, I feel identified with that is um, The Infinite Game from Simon mm. Sinek. Mm. Uh, the reason why is because it's a book that talks about the game. You know, as I grew up in my life, I got to a point where, you know, achieving goals becomes less and less hmm. motivating and energizing. You know, it's not so much about achieving goals because at one point you, you get it and then you move to the next one and then you realize that the pleasure that you get, the, the satisfaction that you get is very momentary. Is very short versus the journey. So uh, when you, I got familiar to different cultures like the Japanese, the Chinese, which is more about enjoying the process, uh, understanding that it's the way you do things and not just the outcome that may drive your satisfaction. And that book speaks about that kind of leadership. And you know, it's all about the game and how you play and not mm. the result that you're trying to achieve. And you should feel satisfied and energized by playing the game in the way you want it and not just about achieving a goal. Interesting. And I think, I think I, yeah, that, that's, that's a, a book that I would recommend anybody, especially those in leadership. Yeah. That, that's a great book, by the way. Um, and, and thank you for sharing that. So as, as, as a closing remark, so if you want our listeners and viewers to take away something from this conversation, like what would that be? What would be your, your closing thought? Um, uh, difficult, difficult, depending on what they are trying to, to achieve. But I think 
um, I think it's understanding that becoming becoming a leader in HR or any other uh, function is a career decision. It's not just a step. Um, I, I when I advise people in in career development and and they ask me, you know, they're a specialist and they are thinking, you know, my next step should be a manager or trying to be a director and having a team. You really need to enjoy managing people and start stepping away from your function. So I think a key takeaway is that leadership is, is a career on its own. Uh, and it may push you away from whatever function you learn and what's your, your step towards success. Because it becomes more about letting other people, other people do things, and let other people do the things that you may have enjoyed before, and then now because now you enjoy managing a team and and leading people. So I think that would be a key takeaway to understand leadership. Is and in HR, it's a bigger challenge because it's not just your team; it's mm. the whole company. With that, thank you so much, uh, Federico, for for walking us through and and being very candid about your journey and being uh, and and helping us understand how you have braced through this storm. You'll always welcome back on the show.